our sermon text today is the letter of 2 John. It's that itty-bitty letter towards the back of your Bible. And I'm curious, as we get started, how many of you have ever heard a sermon on the letter of 2 John? We got one hand, two, two hands. Oh, we got three up top, all right. Well, that's good to know. That means that for most of you, this will be the best sermon you've ever heard on this letter and simultaneously the worst. But that is totally okay. Sometimes it's the overlooked things in life that can make an outsized difference, like raising your your computer monitor just an inch at work when you're having chronic neck pain. And my hope here is is that this little letter, that it can do something like that. It can have a a significant impact in our life. It's, It's a letter written by the Apostle John, the same man who wrote the Gospel of John and the other letters in Revelation. And what prompted this letter are false teachers who are slipping in and preying on the churches in this area. And they're teaching false doctrines. And the primary one is they're actually denying the Incarnation. And you're going to see that in this little letter. And so the elder, John, writes to the elect lady. So those are the elders of the church and her children, the church members. And he instructs them on how to discern who to trust. Like of these traveling missionaries who've been sent out and are false teachers, who do we actually need to trust? And, and so in a very real sense, this little letter is like, how do you evaluate guys like me? Someone who isn't actually an elder, but who's come into your church to preach the word. And it's, in a sense, it just, it reads like a list of concerns. There isn't one theme in this little letter. And so what you're going to hear today is almost like three little sermonettes, back to back to back, as I hit on John's, John's joys and his concerns about truth and love. And so I just want that, that background information, let that be the music that plays as we read this little letter in its entirety. And... This is exactly how they would have heard it back then. They would have had a little letter delivered to their church, and they would have heard it read in its entirety. So let's hear from the Word of God. So the letter of 2 John says this. It says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady... Not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning. That we love one another. And this is love. That we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment. Just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For, (coughs) excuse me. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose heart, that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. 
Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. The letter of Second John. The flower fades. I just messed this up. <laughs> I'm blanking on it. Yes. Yes. Where is this at? Well, yeah. I'm going to pray. Triune God, creator of the cosmos. We have come before you this Sunday morning asking for you to minister to us through your word, specifically in and through this little letter. And we praise you for your presence and for you making a way for us to experience your presence with joy. Please make us a people who will respond to your word in ways that are in step with the gospel of your son Christ. Jesus, we thank you that you are the Christ who has come in the flesh, the God-man, truly God, truly man. And we thank you for your work on the cross. Holy Spirit, please open the eyes of our hearts so that we may know the riches of your words, that we may see and treasure the beauty of Jesus' cross work. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to think of two people in your mind. And the first is whoever is the most trustworthy person in your life. And the second is whoever is the least trustworthy person in your life. So someone you know personally. I'll give you a moment to think of them. Why do you trust the one and, and why do you distrust the other? I'd be willing to bet that truth and love were involved in your assessment of both people. To the person you trust deeply, they're probably a person of character, they're a person of integrity, which is just saying they're truthful. That their lives, they, they actually embody truth. There's moral character there. That's what integrity is. It's, it's truthfulness expressed in character. And they probably love you, that person you trust. And that distrustworthy person, right, it's probably the exact opposite. They're probably not truthful. Or they've probably done something to hurt you. They've done something that isn't loving. And as Christians today, we found ourselves in a dif difficult current cultural moment. Right? If you haven't noticed, it's kind of polarized. It's contentious. Right? If, if an alien were to visit the United States right now, he would see 
a lot of virtue signaling and people emoting their own opinions and a lot of anger and shouting down of one another. What would be conspicuously absent, right, is truth and love. You would see a, an environment, a culture, a republic that isn't marked by trust. So as a society, we, we no longer have any shared agreement upon what constitutes truth. Everything is spin. It's, you know, just someone's slant. It's their way of telling the story. As a university student recently told me, well, Samuel, you have your truth, and I have mine. And because many of us, right, even in the church, struggle with this, this place of lack of trust, we all, we kind of live with this low-grade feeling that everyone's trying to sell us something. And so we're inherently skeptical of everyone. And it's because we don't have a shared understanding of truth. And when truth goes, right, love is not far behind. And in one sense, that, that's totally understandable. <coughs> if you don't trust someone, how are you going to love them? I mean, why would you love someone if you believe they're out to get you? So how, as a church, do we live faithfully in this cultural moment? How can we respond faithfully? Right? Who do we trust as the church? And what should characterize our witness so that we can be people who are viewed as trustworthy? What you're going to see running through this little letter and the answer to those questions is truth and love. Neither of which we can give up on, but we must hold together. Right, so pick it up again in verses 1 through 3. Notice where I put the emphasis as I read through this time. It says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Here's John. He's writing to this church, helping them discern what biblical teaching is true and trustworthy and which men they should trust and he begins by reminding them of the truth they've encountered in God's love. He starts by framing out this context that the source of truth is God. God is the ultimate source of truth. And as Christians, we now know that God through his word. He has revealed to us the truth in scripture. And that's where the Apostle John begins this little letter. And you'll notice he, he puts truth and love together. And that's the first thing we have to see in this little letter is that truth and love have a friendship. The friendship of truth and love is my first point today. John loves in truth and so do all the people who know the truth. 
And we even see the truth abiding in Christians forever. Meaning the role of the church for all eternity will be about witnessing to the truth and loving God. Truth truth and love are not enemies. And we shouldn't make them enemies. Truth and love, they're, they're not water and oil. Right? They're not like Yankee and Red Sox fans. Right? They're, they're not like Jayhawks and Wildcats. They're not at odds. Truth and love, they're, they're like that old married couple. Right? Perhaps they quarrel at times, but no one questions if they belong together. They're meant for each other. At their best, they go hand in hand. (coughs) And this should be true of Christians as well. We should be people who pursue the truth in love. We don't have to be afraid of the truth because, right, the source of truth is God. And we, we don't need to fear God because he has made us right through Christ. You see it explicitly in verse 3. John isn't afraid of the truth because the truth is from God. It's found in God. The the peace, the mercy, it's found right in God. It's not found through their external circumstances. No, it's found in the very character of God. So as Christians, we have to pursue the truth in love. That's where grace, mercy, and peace is that's where we see the Lord. So your first application here, right, as we look at the friendship of truth and love is, thanks Rodney, is that we need to cultivate a posture that pursues the truth and love. Right, it's a false dichotomy to pit truth and love against each other, like I've said. And yet, this is something that I see constantly. I mean, I have so many friends who've come to me over the years and so many university students, and they're wrestling with this very false dichotomy. It usually gets phrased like, well, I want to tell them the truth, but I don't know if they'll think that is loving. Listen. Helping someone come to the knowledge of the truth is one of the most loving things that you could ever do for someone. Allowing someone to live in a a fictional fantasy world is not love. We must be men and women who speak the truth. I mean, hear me. I'm not like knighting you to be a jerk for Jesus right now. That's not what I'm doing, all right? The end doesn't justify the means for Christians. Right? The, the content of our message must be loving and truthful. And the delivery of our message must be in accord with that truth and love as well. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is, in Galatians 5.22, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And the way we present the truth must be in accord with that fruit. But that doesn't mean that we get to water the truth down. You you don't get to just say, hey, 
I, I just want to just level off Jesus' holiness a little bit here because I want to make it more palatable. Right? No, 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 no. Right? We must speak the truth as it truly is. Holding together truth and love. And we cannot control how people will respond to the message of truth. But we are responsible for sharing the truth. And doing so in a way that reflects the character of God. So very practically, how do you cultivate this posture that that reflects the friendship of truth and love? Well, start with listening. In so many ways, we are the, the spiritual cartographers for our friends and our neighbors. We draw the spiritual maps that point people to Jesus. And you can't draw a map for someone to get to a new location unless you know where they're starting from. Which means we need to listen. And so very, very practically, I challenge you, go ask a coworker to write down the first three things they think about your presence or your roommate or if you're married, your spouse. And if you're really brave and you have children, ask your children. Right? Ask them, you know, what do you think about my presence? And be willing to listen, to hear where they're at, to begin to engage in that friendship, in that conversation, to know them. So that we have the opportunity to speak the truth in love. The truth in love. They have a friendship and they go hand in hand. Right? But truth and love, they don't just have a friendship like any friendship. They have joys and they have concerns. And so pick it up in verse 4. We're going to see the second thing that you have to see. And the first, we're going to take them in two parts here. We're going to, we're going to look at the joys of the friendship of truth and love, and then we're going to look at the concerns of the friendship of truth and love. So verse 4, he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I was writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to this commandment. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. Right, so once we're out of this formal greeting and we start to step down into the body of this little letter, right, right, we begin to see John lay out these things. And so he moves from what is true in God, right? As Christians, we are loved and we are known. We have the grace, mercy, and peace, all because of what Christ has done, right? He moves from that now to begin how we live from that. And the first thing we see here is, is that John is rejoicing. He's rejoicing over his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's delighted by them. And why is he rejoicing? Well, because they're walking in the truth. They're pursuing Jesus' greatest commandment. Right? It's not the new commandment. No, this is the old command, as he states in verse 5, right? It's, it's the command to love one another. This command is just shot through all of John's writings. If, if you were to go and read the Gospel of John this week from cover to cover, 
you would see that the call to love is all over it. And really, it's all over the Bible. Right? We see Jesus in Matthew chapter 22 teaching the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And we see him teach that the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And Jesus, he's really just doubling down on Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 6, right? Where he says, he, he, he's channeling that, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is core Christianity. It's all over the New Testament. Its roots are deep in the Old Testament. The clearest command in all of the scriptures is to love God and to love your neighbor. And it was their ordinary obedience of this congregation that is causing John to rejoice. He's thankful for them obeying God and he wants to spur them on in their ordinary, everyday endeavors of loving one another. Like where where do I see that in this text? Where do I see it's the ordinary obedience that John's rejoicing over? Well, look at the metaphor that John uses to describe their obedience. Look at the metaphor that he calls them forward into. He calls them to walk. To walk in these commandments, right? You see it right at the end of verse 6. It's even at the beginning. I mean, consider how ordinary walking is. You don't think about it much. I mean, you probably don't think about it at all unless something's wrong. Unless you've sprained your ankle or come out of a surgery. Walking is just something we do. Right, and that's, that's what John is calling Christians into. Right? Truth and love, right? they should be rejoicing over the ordinary faithfulness of a congregation. So let's rejoice in how the Holy Spirit is leading us as a congregation to pursue faithfulness. I mean, when was the last time that you rejoiced over someone sitting in the pews next to you? That you were rejoicing over their obedience, thankful for their growth in godliness? That should be the the knee-jerk reaction of our hearts. As Christians with hearts made new, that should be the natural disposition. Is that we rejoice over one another and what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life. So let's Let's cultivate that joy together, guys. And let's pursue truth and love. You know, to do this, right, you're going to have to be like a little child. You know, my, my, my middle child, she's my little risk taker. She has no fear, which is kind of scary. But her favorite thing recently is me putting her in one of those canvas Aldi bags. And just spinning her in circles. And without fail, I'll spin her, much to my wife's dismay, until she is absolutely dizzy. And without fail, 
you know, when I set the bag down and she stumbles out sideways, what's the first thing she says? She says, again, again, right? For us to pursue this type of ordinary joy, we're going to have to cultivate that childlike faith of trusting the Lord to meet us in the ordinary day in and day out of congregational life, of serving one another. We can't let it grow old. We have to be like those little children, rejoicing in the Lord's ordinary means. Right, but John, he, it's not just the joys, right? It also has concerns, right? The, the friendship of truth and love. And so pick it up again in verse 7. Look down into your Bibles. He goes on, after rejoicing, he goes on to warn them. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Right? Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Right? Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Right? Verse 7 there, it starts out, with that phrase, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. And that's a technical phrase in the early church for men who were sent out as missionaries. But these men were confessing an actual heresy. They're saying Jesus did not become incarnate. The very truth that we just celebrated last week. They're saying Jesus did not come in the flesh. He was just, he kind of showed up in this like hologram form. He, he, wasn't, he didn't really have a body. He was just kind of God here. And, and they're wanting people to move on from Jesus. He didn't live the, the ordinary life. They, they didn't want this Jesus who could actually know them. They're denying that Jesus came in the flesh. And I don't know the full reasons. We don't know the full reasons for why they're denying it. But we do see how seriously John takes this. Right? In verse 7, he labels them the Antichrist, meaning they are against Jesus. And then in verses 10 and 11, he instructs these saints to close their doors to them. Don't let them preach in your church. What we see John saying here is, is, hey, look, this truth is so serious that Jesus came in the flesh that you cannot let these guys near you. You absolutely need a Jesus who is human. Right? We, we need Jesus as the scriptures reveal him, as truly God and truly man. Without his humanity, Jesus can't save us. We needed a Jesus, a savior, a mediator who would take on flesh and live the life that 
Adam should have lived. And then we needed the Jesus to die the death that we should have died so that we could experience peace with God. And these men, they're denying that core truth. And so we must cultivate wisdom and discernment when we're intaking truth. When we're taking in scriptural content and when we're listening to people. And we have to ask, are they preaching the Jesus of the Bible? Or are they proclaiming their own Jesus, the Jesus of their imagination? Is this the Christ of scriptures? Or have they taken Jesus and made him into their own image? We always need to evaluate what we're hearing being preached and taught. And we need to measure it against the word of God. And we need to see if it conforms to Jesus. That that same middle child, uh, she she revealed to me some of my sinfulness the other day. I have this really terrible tick where if I want the conversation to move along because I'm getting bored, I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And I, I try and shuffle things along because I'm, I'm tired. I don't know if you guys have sinful tendencies like this. I do. Okay? And I was telling my, my middle child to help me pick up some toys. And the two-and-a-half-year-old looked at me and said, yeah, 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 Dad. And I was like, oh, no. This is not how this is going to go. And, you know, my first thought was, hey, sis, your dad grew up in North St. Louis. That is, this isn't going to fly in this house, right? But then the, the Holy Spirit kind of just nudged me. And, and, you know, it was like, where did she learn that from? She learned that from you. She was being apprenticed and discipled by me. And sadly, she, she's picking up on some of my sinful tendencies already. Right? And so when we come to the scriptures, we have to make sure that we're not passing along those type of things. The Jesus in our own image. And the only way we can know that is if we're looking down into the text. If we're looking down into the Bible to see the Jesus of scriptures and seeing that we are being apprenticed to him. That we are following the Jesus of the Bible. And so the the second application here, right, is, well, let's encourage each other to follow the Jesus of the scriptures. To share his joys and to share his concerns. We should be speaking the truth to one another in love as a congregation. We should be the the chief edifiers in one another's lives. The church ought to be the place where brothers and sisters are encouraged and spurred on in their walk with the Lord. And that's not going to happen by accident. No congregation just naturally drifts towards truth and love. No, we have to be on guard. We have to watch. 
as John says in this little letter. And we have to pursue the truth in love with one another. And so that's why the Lord has given us elders to guide us and to teach us and to instruct us in the word. To, to lead us and show us how to faithfully interpret scriptures and to, to build us up. Right? That's why every week Brian gets up here and he preaches and he teaches from the word. And so that's what we have to do. We have to seek to conform our lives to the word taught and preached in the scriptures. So when it comes to developing discernment, let's start with the scriptures and let's start with this local body. Let's not let talk radio or our favorite podcast or our favorite blogs shape our understanding of truth more than the word taught and preached from this pulpit. I love guys like Tim Keller and D.A. Carson and John Piper as much as the next guy. But they don't know your name. Like R.C. Sproul does not pray for you. Brian Huff, he prays for you. Tim Durrett knows where you live. And I don't say that in a creepy way. All right? Travis Shanahan knows your children's names. Right? The Word of God has ordained the authority of elders, and they have been appointed to care for you. And what you see in this little letter here is the Apostle John, he's, he's writing to the elect lady, and, he, and that's the elders, and he's saying, hey, look, this is how you discern truth. You pursue the truth in love, you love one another, and you stick to the Jesus revealed in Scriptures. That's how you assess truth and love. It's joys and concerns. And so really practically, let's sit under the word with a willing heart and with joy. And let's examine the scriptures together. So as I, as I round third, head for home here, the last little sermonette is going to be on truth and love, having a physical body. Pick it up in verse 12. He says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Right? The children of your elect sister greet you. Right? If there's anything this pandemic has driven home for me, it's the importance of bodies and physical presence. I can hear Rodney and his raging extroversion saying a loud amen there in the back, right? I can just feel it. But it's true. Bodies and physical presence, they matter. Something important is lost when I can't see a student's smile because it's behind that mask or, or when that tear slides below the mask. We're meant to share our lives with one another. We're meant to be next to each other. And that's why the Apostle John here, after writing this weighty letter, look how he closes it out. He, he, he begins to unpack 
this intimate expression of love. I want to be with you face to face. I'd rather not write. There's a lot more that I could say, but I want to be with you. We're meant to be together to share one another's burdens. Now, I'll briefly share how I've experienced this in the life of this church. So a few years ago, some of you know, I was in a pretty rough car accident. I was driving down 177 to Emporia, Kansas in my little 94 Camry, and I got hit head-on by a full-size GMC Sierra, 60 miles an hour. And I was banged up pretty bad. And it was a very long road to recovery. I mean, I still am experiencing side effects to this day. I wouldn't have made it through without the tangible love of this congregation. Now, Hannah was born two weeks to the day after I was in that accident. And we had meals, I think, for the first four months of Hannah's life. They just showed up at our door. People were showing up in my house, just mowing my lawn. And I didn't even know they were going to show up that day. People came and did yard work, and and they just cleaned up our house, right? Because I was in need. It, It was the physical presence and embodied love of this congregation that stabilized my wife and I and our little family through that ordeal. And that's what we all need. We all need love with a body. And thankfully, I mean, that's, that's Jesus, the God incarnate, the, the truth that we just celebrated at Christmas, is that we have a God who isn't far off. We have a God who's come near. In all of his holiness, in all of his truth, he's come down and he's tabernacled amongst us. And now he's calling us to do the same for our neighbors. And so really practically, how could we even this week live out this type of intimate love amongst one another? I'll give you two easy ways. They're kind of old-fashioned. The first is we could write handwritten letters to each other. Or write a letter to people in the congregation. If you have to resort to the phone call, pick up the phone and call them. Connect with them. Hear how they're doing. And the second thing is, there's this thing called the front porch. Right? It goes on the front of your house. Go sit on someone's front porch with them. Be outside. Be socially distant. And just talk to each other. 2020 has been a rough year, if you haven't noticed. And I think it's been rough for everyone. And this little letter, it, it calls us to love one another. Right? We see that truth and love have a friendship. We see truth and love have joys and concerns. And that truth and love ultimately call us to embody love to one another.
and all of that because of what Christ has already done on our behalf. And if I were to put this sermon in a sentence, it would be, let's abide in truth and love for the glory of Jesus. Let's abide in truth and love for the glory of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the truth and love that we needed. And because Jesus refutes all error and all falsehood, we can cling to him knowing that we have the truth. And Jesus is the king who came and lived amongst us, who died for our sins. And so now we can be loved in the midst of our sin. We can be known and loved. This is the Jesus that we follow. This is the Jesus that we get to move out from and to love one another in truth and love. So let's pray. Father, would you, by the the power of the Holy Spirit, make us a congregation that proclaims the glory of your Son, Jesus. Would you please make us a, a congregation that is submitted to your word, that delights in the purpose and the power of your word as we proclaim the excellencies of that word. Lord, we we love you, and we thank you for that gospel. We just ask these things in Jesus' name.